I failed to introduce my help here, uh, Sister Sherry Crosslack. Uh, she is a registered nurse. She's a mother, and she's also a church member, so you know she has experience. And Brother Dave is one of our fellow ministers at Norton. Dave is, uh, what would you call yourself, Dave? Learning or practicing some psychiatry. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sherry, go ahead. One of my favorite examples is Corrie Ten Boom, and she's a Nazi war camp survivor, and she certainly had a reason to be, become bitter for some horrible injustices done during that time. And as the war ended, she decided that um, she was going to really try hard to radiate the love of Jesus to others. To do that, to accomplish that, she started public speaking to heal war-torn spirits and to turn souls to Jesus. One of the first insights that she had was that she knew she had to learn to forgive. Um, but the challenge to this was, who was she going to meet when she started doing this public speaking? Was she going to meet those who turned her stomach? Was she going to meet uh, that guard that beat her sister that eventually killed her? And um, what if she met one of the guards that she saw beat a person to death? Was she going to be able to forgive and still have a lack of bitterness toward these people? God said to her, yes, you must forgive if you want to be forgiven. One day, two monks were walking through the countryside. They were on their way to another village to help bring in the crops. And as they walked, they spied an old woman sitting at the edge of a river. She was upset because there was no bridge and she could not get across on her own. The first monk kindly offered, We will carry you across if you like. Thank you, she said gratefully, accepting their help. So the two men joined hands, lifted her between them, and carried her across the river. When they got to the other side, they set her down and she went on her way. After they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain. Look at my clothes, he said. They are filthy from carrying that woman across the river, and my back still hurts from lifting her. I can feel it getting stiff. The first monk just smiled and nodded his head. A few more miles up the road, the second monk griped again. My back is hurting me so badly, and it's all because we had to carry that silly woman across the river. I can't go any further because of the pain. The first monk looked down at his partner, now lying on the ground, moaning. Have you wondered why I am not complaining, he asked. Your back hurts because you are still carrying the woman, but I set her down five miles ago. My story is a little different. Uh, a man was walking into a grocery store, and as he approached the door, Someone, another man, rushed up and said something like this to him. Excuse me, sir, I, I gotta get in here. I have some ice cream in the car and it's melting and I gotta get, I gotta get in here and I gotta get out. And as this man stepped through the door, right in front of the other man, kind of rude in fact, uh, he was greeted by the store manager, by cameras, uh, by all kinds of people. Congratulations, sir. You are the one millionth customer in this store. You are entitled to one million dollar prize to spend any way you wish. And, of course, the man coming behind him, he had heard all of this, and he, he, he looked up and says, Hey, wait a minute. This man crowded in front of me. You saw it. And he went to the manager and says, No, sir, it doesn't count. This man was the millionth customer. Too bad, unfortunate. So, well, at least you can share some of the prize with me. I would have been the millionth customer. And I said, No, it can't be. And so, anyhow, this man got really upset and really said, I can't do anything out here. I'll wait until I get him in the parking lot. I'll get my million dollars in the parking lot. But you see, what he didn't know was that this was one of those game shows on television that had been set up that way. It was one of those shows where they do like uh, um, a candid camera. And it was all done for a show. When I asked the question, have you ever been a victim of someone stepping in front of you? 
We want to talk about definitions uh, of bitterness for a few moments. And you may take notes if you like. Um, definition, it's an attitude of deep resentment and a refusal to be reconciled. Something distasteful, distressing to the mind, galling, a sense of shame. It's marked by intensity and severity. And I think all of us know it's accompanied by severe pain. It's sometimes uh, some of the uh, other definitions is being determined uh, in a certain situation. It's often exhibiting intense animosity. And so for these are dictionary definitions. I want to show you, uh, have you go to some of the scriptures that talk about the Bible concept of bitterness is one of the most crushing mental problems in a person's life. When a Christian is bitter, there is loss of fellowship with Christ, there is loss of fellowship with people, uh, there's loss of blessings, uh, it, in, in, it, there's uh, loss of emotional balance, stability, peace and joy. Bitterness results in the loss of production of doing good things in the name of the Lord. And this is, a, um, as the overhead shows us, it's a loss of rewards in a plan of God. Bitterness is a mental attitude sin. Let me raise your, ask you to raise your hand if any of you has ever been bitter. Okay. How about any of you seen someone bitter? Raise it real high because you can, you know, you can now you get even, right? <laughs> okay. All of us have. Note what it says. Um, it's hatred. It's cruelty. It's antagonism. But it is also self-pity. It reaches into unteachableness. Uh, it becomes vindictive. You've heard the saying, I don't, um, I don't get mad. I get even. You ever hear that? I don't get mad. I get even. That's the worldly way of doing it. We don't do that that way. Note, note the prideful ambition. Bitterness is neither consistent nor is it rational. A bitter person is his own worst enemy. A bitter person is the one that does it to himself. It's a major contributing cause of marital, family, and church problems, as well as social problems. We got people, and they get very good at hiding their bitterness, hiding their emotions, uh, and, uh, and that's part of it. Let me uh, put another one uh, up here. that way. Consequences of bitterness. Bitterness is antisocial. Bitterness is selfish. Note some of the scripture references. If you want to copy them, that's all right. The scriptures have much to say about bitterness, about anger, about uh, those types of things. And in all instances, we are able to control our own destiny. We, we do not have to become bitter. Christ never did, and we do not either. And note what it says about what it does. It reject, a bitter person rejects the Bible. Bitterness shows lack of grace. Bitter person doesn't understand. A bitter person, uh, uh, look at what it says in Job 21. It talks about a person dying, actually, because of bitterness. Bitterness motivates complaining. Anybody ever complain? Not me, right? Bitterness fragments other people's lives. Bitterness is self-induced. Bitterness is misery all around you. Who loves to be with a bitter person? I'm, misery loves company? <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. I don't like to be with anybody that's, that's miserable. <laughs> But anyway, bitterness, 
What is meant by mental? It is meant um, that is a mental attitude. Uh, let's see, how do you do this? This way. We want to talk about uh, the mental attitude, and Dave's going to talk about the relaxed mental attitude. Um, and we're going to go through a few of these things, and then we will open it for we will open it for some discussions. Go ahead, Dave. person or persons hurts our heart, we sometimes react with anger, and it, it kind of um, simmers in us. And whether it's justifiable or not, sometimes you're justifiably anger, angry, um, especially if a friend or somebody close to you, you expect them uh, to stand by you, and instead of standing by you, they sort of betray you, or you feel like you've been betrayed. Um, there's lots of... Uh, examples of, uh, of hurt from other people. And that hurt, if it's not dealt with, if that anger is not dealt with, it tends to grow. And as it grows, it grows into resentment and bitterness, unless it's dealt with. So it does need to be dealt with. And uh, we can also become angry and bitter in our lives with our own sins, our own acts of sin that go unchecked. And sometimes we don't recognize things as a sin, but if it's not from God, it is a sin. And we can, over a period of time, become bitter about that. So if we do have sin in our lives or attitude problems in our lives, I think it's a good idea that we take it before the Lord, we confess it, and then we repent of it. We turn away from it and say, I'm not going to feel that way anymore. It's, this is a really good one for me because I, really, I, I just have such a hot temper when I think something's not fair. And it really shows up in my kids, too. I, I passed it down. So I think the good response here, though, is to take it to be before the Lord. And then we also want to remember that if we nurture this hurt and we don't take care of it, it tends to grow. And it'll grow bitter fruit. Who offends us? Those who are near to us? those who are dear to us, or those people who hurt those individuals that are near to us. It can be done by what is said. The hurt can come because of something a person says to us or because of something they do to us. And the interesting thing is it doesn't even have to be really objectively designed to hurt or to make life difficult for a person. It can even be imagined. In some ways, we feel that our rights have been infringed, that our feelings are hurt and our pride is bruised. People near to us would be individuals like a boss, a neighbor, co-worker, supervisor, direct reports, anybody that we have regular contact with on perhaps a daily basis. And I would even put people who are near to us would be people in church, individuals that we have regular contact with that um, make us angry, at least initially, by what they say to us, what they say about us to other people, or what they do, and we interpret that as a negative, and our feelings are hurt, we are bruised by it. Those who are dear to us also hurt us. Family members, a parent, a mother, a father, a child, a brother, a sister, a relative, an aunt or an uncle, or a grandparent. And I have heard of situations, as hard as these are to believe, I cannot really fathom what it must be like not to be in contact with a living father for over 20 years because of something the father said to the son when the son was 19 years old, and now here is the son a 38, 39-year-old man and hasn't talked to his father for 20 years because of something that was said. 
that made the son bitter. And he held on to that and it upset the relationship. The seed of offense is planted when our pride is bruised and we feel we don't deserve this. I mean, who do these people think they are anyhow going around doing and saying these kinds of things? Resentment is an early stage of bitterness. What are the symptoms of bitterness? First of all, remembering the details point by point of what this person supposedly said. You and I have thousands of conversations in the course of a day or a week. And most of those, we don't remember too much about them, or we remember the general idea. But have you ever talked to somebody who remembered word for word a conversation they had 20 years ago or 10 years ago? And they not only tell you what the person said, but they, they can give you the inflections in their voice, and you can tell that anger is rising within them as they're telling you detail by detail what this person said to them 20 years ago. They've had practice at that. They reviewed those events over and over again. They didn't let go, but rather they held on to it and they nurtured the hurt. They were focusing on themselves and how they feel about the situation. If I do something wrong and it's sin, and I, that comes to my awareness, I feel guilty about it. But if someone else does wrong to me, it's their sin, and I resent that. And the issue that we have to get into and that we will get into when we talk about recovery is even though it may be their sin, that is not the solution for your bitterness. There are antisocial consequences of being bitter. Bitter people are often very selfish and inconsiderate of people. It's their problem, not mine. I'm right, they're wrong. It's unjust and it's unfair. I'm justified in feeling and believing the way I do. Oftentimes people who have symptoms of bitterness are indifferent to conventional standards. Now, what do I mean by conventional standards? Well, most of us say, you know, let bygones be bygones. Okay, it happens, so let's move on with life. Uh, there are acceptable ways to behave and handle things that are hurting toward us. And in polite conversation, you generally don't bring those things up about other people simply because it's inconsiderate of them, it's not kind, it is not loving. It is not anything that anybody can do anything about at the moment. So it just simply goes against conventional standards, and I would say even more so for a Christian because of the higher calling we have. Uh, the fragmented life. Bitter people often have their life fragmented into components. I mean, does a bitter person really believe that all things work together for good? to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8, 28. Does the bitter person believe that or not? And situations and hurt would fall into all things by my definition. The bitter person doesn't accept this in those aspects of their life. Yes, that's true here and there, but not in this situation. Or we've never confronted it and thought about it in that fashion. People who are bitter lack a grace orientation. They have little understanding of the plan of God. You know, why does God let this happen to me? This could not possibly be for my good. But if we accept the notion that everything that we go through is somehow related to a plan that God has for us, we would do well to approach it gracefully and ask the Lord, what lesson is there in this that I should be learning? Bitter people often complain a lot. They complain about people. They complain about situations. They complain about circumstances. The two monks, the story that I mentioned to you, his back is hurting, his clothes are soiled, and there isn't a person here who doesn't have an example of that sort of thing from being at camp already. All of us could come up with something to complain about rather easily. Now, we also know that conventional standards are you don't do that. You don't complain. You bear the hurt. You accept it. 
But the bitter person who complains and not and does not accept what God has, they're ultimately challenging God. That I am better, I am worthy of something better than what's being dished out to me. People who are bitter reject the teachings of the Bible, um, at least some of them. They don't believe that the problem is theirs, that those verses on bitterness apply to them, that those bitternesses verses apply to me, that God is allowing this as a test of my faith. There is nothing I have to learn from this. They're the ones that have to learn. Not only is that not a grace orientation, that is not a biblical orientation. We cannot control other people's behavior, but we can control what behavior we engage in as a result of what they say or do to us. Bitter people often gossip. They spread or elaborate comments of people that make them look bad. They may even be saying something that's true. Everyone has said things that on further reflection they wish they had not said. They wished they had rephrased it or said it differently. We need not repeat the kinds of things that make people look worse in the eyes of others. It simply tears them down. It's an antisocial response. It's inconsiderate of them and their human weaknesses, of which we all have and should be able to identify with. And it's inconsiderate of just polite standards of how to get along with people. So many characteristics of the bitter person. Bitterness does not just start and all of a sudden it's bitter. It starts with anger and it grows into resentment and the roots start digging deep down into the soil and before you know it, the fruit comes forth and you hear it in somebody's comments that they make about another person and about a situation that they may have been involved in and they nurture that hurt they complain. Um, they do not really accept the gospel message about all things working together for good. And my response is to prove to God that I am one of his children and that I can bear the hurt and that I can deal with the frustration, not myself, but by the love of God within me, showing me how to deal with the situation and even more so, how to deal lovingly and kindly and gently with the person who caused the hurt in the first place. Recovery from bitterness. Okay. If we want to hang on to our bitterness, I have some suggestions. The first one is... Make sure you wait for the other person to say they're sorry. And if you do that, um, I'm sure you'll hang on to it because they may never say they're sorry. And they may not even know that they've hurt you. Or maybe they're not even able to say they're sorry anymore. Some of the bitterness is held against people who have even passed on. Um, Or they may not want to come and say they're sorry. So if you want to hang on to the bitterness, and you want to hang on to that anger a little bit longer, then just make sure you wait it out. And I want to add that there's not one verse in the Bible to support that inaction. Another way to hang on to is to start discussing it with other people. The only time we really benefit from discussing our hurt and the events that surround it with other people is when we're actually searching for godly counsel and prayer with another person. It's normally discussing our problem with others leads to gossip, and tearing down of the other person or persons involved. It hurts their reputation, and it leads to strife instead of healing. I think it's the way a lot of splits take place and and fragmenting within churches, too. Um, A third way that we can use to hang on to that bitterness is blaming others. Well, if it weren't for the actions of so-and-so, I wouldn't feel like this. It's their fault. It's not mine. And this might be true. Uh, Were it not for the guards in Nazi war camps, many families wouldn't have suffered and died, and they'd still be together. Those guards did not have to be as cruel as they were. However, 
God commands us to forgive others, whether they deserve it or not. He commands us. We didn't deserve to be forgiven, but God forgave us. And so this means that if we hold on to an unforgiving heart because there's someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, so we're going to hold on to our our unforgiving heart, then the sin becomes ours. We're to blame for our own bitterness. And we also can be uh, blamed at that point for any fruits that come about from it. Um, I enjoy the... uh, the scripture Ephesians 4:31 and 32. Do we have that? Okay. It says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." And then, once we've done that, it says, "And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you." And then the second scripture that I enjoy is Matthew 6:12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're required to forgive. What do we do to recover from bitterness? We've given you some definitions. We've told you some of the symptoms and the characteristics of the bitter person. We want to put the rest of the focus of this morning's forum on recovering from bitterness, for we think that that's where the real value of this information lies. First thing we have to do is do what the psalmist did in 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do we really want God to try us? We don't have any problem perhaps with him knowing our hearts, perhaps even searching us. But we could look at every one of these situations that we talked about as an example of God trying us, of finding out what character, what is the fiber that we are made of. We need to own the problem as our own. This is my problem, not someone else's. The hidden hurts and resentments, the anger, Lord, reveal that to me and show me where I need to change. So it's my problem, not someone else's out there. We also need to recognize bitterness and a bitter attitude as a sin. Um, you don't really see it in the Ten Commandments, but we have a, a page load of scripture on it, and there's far more than that, and it is a sin. And because it's a sin, we need to confess it and accept that it can be controlled. Um, we need to have a discerning spirit so that we recognize when something is not of God. If it's not from God, then we know it's sin. And we can take it before the Lord, confess it as sin, and ask God to enter our heart in its place so we're able to act constructively and once again be in God's will. He promises to lead us in every situation. And we can feel his presence even when we're feeling like we're in turmoil and we're hurt and we're anger. In Hebrews 12, 14 through 15, it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. A component of this is of this confession is prayer. I hold a grudge. I have a problem with it. The psalmist in 32.5 says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. James 5.16 also encourages the believer to do the same thing. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if we're going to talk about, if we're going to talk with others about this, we need to talk about it not in terms of someone else's problem, but my problem and my reaction to it and what I need prayer for to deal with this, that I might confess it, that I might pray for myself, and that my companion or my partner with whom I'm sharing this can also pray for me that I can deal with this situation. I'm the one that has the grudge. I'm the one that has a problem with bitterness. 
I need to pray that to confess it. Also a component of that, uh, I believe, is having what Ranny referred to earlier as a relaxed mental attitude. That's a very unscientific uh, kind of term, a relaxed mental attitude. It basically tells me not to take myself too seriously, that I should be slow to take offense, that I shouldn't be willing every time somebody says something that may strike me wrong to become defensive and come right back at them with something. Perhaps I should blow it off and simply rise above it. Um, The way I handle it indicates something about my Christian character. The way I handle it gives others an indication of the kind of victory I have over my old nature. Because my old nature is to defend myself. My old nature is to do what comes natural, and that is to say, not let this person get away with it. But that's not the Christian attitude. I need to have an attitude of Christ in it. I need to create a loving attitude in dealing with the situation. In 1 Corinthians 13, I refer you to that, verses 4 through 7 in particular. Um, those are very valuable things. Uh, Colossians 3, uh, 12 through 14 is also uh, relevant here. But I like especially the attitude of a forgiving spirit. Sherry mentioned that, and she read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, where in the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, forgive us as we forgive others. And Matthew 18 where Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And Jesus, uh, and, and Peter thinks he's being generous by saying seven times, and Jesus multiplies that uh, tenfold. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus is on the cross, and he is saying, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Acts 7, 59 and 60, Stephen is being stoned, and his life is draining from him. And he looks up to heaven and he says, lay not this sin to their charge. Not a person here, to my knowledge, has been in such a dire situation where we have had to go through that kind of physical abuse that Stephen or our Lord and many of the martyrs throughout history went through. And yet, in their dying breaths, they asked that God would forgive those who were doing this. They were not expecting these people to ask for forgiveness. They just simply said, Lord, hold this, not to their charge. We need to put humility in the place of pride. In Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, and I won't read all of those, but bless them which persecute, bless and curse not. That was verse 14. Verse 17, recompense no man evil for evil. Verse 19, avenge not, the Lord will repay, we are told. And in verse 21 of that chapter 12 of Romans, it kind of sums it all up by saying, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Something that I read uh, not too long ago really hit me, and the truth of it is so simple, it almost, it it still amazes me. But if you take a glass of water and put some sugar in it and mix it up, you've got sweet water. And that sweetness is throughout that entire glass of water. And what happens if you bump that glass and spill a little bit of the water on the table? What comes out? Sweet water. And if you take that glass and violently push it and abuse it and shake it and spread that water all over the floor, does that water change to bitterness? No, that water is still sweet. What is within is what comes out in the fruits. And we want to be, the fruits to be the things that are talked about in Galatians 5. Not the things that come about as the result of the root of bitterness, but rather the good things that come about through the Spirit. And so when someone rubs me the wrong way and I come back at them in some fashion and bitterness comes out, it's not that the water has changed from sweet to bitter. It means that the water that was shaken out was bitter water. 
I need to have the sweetness of Christ within me. So when those trials and those difficulties come, and when my feelings are hurt and my pride is bruised, I need to respond with the water that is within, the living water that Christ gives, the sweet water that shows I am one of his. Um, we want to live in the Word. Uh, by being close with Jesus, I think Dave covered that pretty good. Um, we have a sweet nature, and we have a giving nature and a kind nature. I like the verse in Galatians 5:15 and 16, which kind of says the opposite. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. This I say, then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We need to walk close to the Lord. I'm learning to stop asking why and just say, what should I do, Lord? Um, I like to praise him regularly throughout the day. Uh, When I think about how God said that the rocks could cry out, I don't want the rocks to cry out. I want to cry out with praise, and I want to fellowship with him during the day and then it makes it easier for me to go to him when I do have a problem I also want to be I want to refuse to be robbed of the Lord's blessing I know that God just waits to bless us I know that because he's a much more perfect parent than I'll ever be and I can't wait to do something good for my children God just waits to bless me um His love for every one of us is beyond our comprehension, and he alone is able to give us the desires of our heart. I do believe that Satan's a robber and that this is his game, and we don't need to play it. Um, I like the Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And Psalm 37.4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Sometimes I didn't even know what my desires were, but God knew, and when he brought it to fulfillment, I was amazed at how perfect his blessings are for me. I don't want to be robbed of that. I have one more thing to add, and that is that we need to accept That's A-C-C-E-P-T, not E-X-C-E-P-T. We need to accept injustice and suffering. Not only accept it, we need to expect it. We need to realize that as Christians, that if we identify closely with our Lord, the suffering and the injustices that he and the early church and that believers throughout history have experienced, that we too will experience those same kinds of things. Even for doing right, Even for doing what is right, we will be unjustly accused. And yet that is our calling. We need to accept that and expect it. And far be it that it would come from our own families, those near and dear to us, as I talked about that earlier. But you know, that's where it's going to come from. It is going to come right from within. And we need to have an understanding, a loving, an accepting spirit And just recognize that this is all part of God's way of testing me, of strengthening me, that I might be a closer follower of his. You know, we as Christians, we are going to get wounded from time to time. It will happen to all of us. We will get wounded. What about the scars, though? Or will your wound ever get to the point where you have a scar? Or is the wound going to fester? And is it going to grow and get infected and all those other horrid things that can happen when a wound is not taken care of the way it should be taken care of? The scar can be a reminder of the victory that God has given us. And if we are following close to our Lord, His hands and His feet and His side were wounded. They were scarred. And there are even songs that refer to this. And someday in heaven, knowing the Lord by the the prints that are in his hand, by the scars that are there, the healing has taken place. 
What about your wounds? Have they healed? And those scars will indicate that, yes, the wounds have healed, and I can closer identify with my Lord because of the scars and the wounds that I have suffered over the years. Not because I'm such a good person, but rather because I am identifying with Christ and trying to live as he would want me to live. Thank you, uh, Sister Sherry, Brother Dave. We will open the next session to questions and comments from the floor. If anyone has any, we are thinking more along the area of rooting out. How do you do it? How do you personally handle bitterness? Anyone? Okay. I just ask that you put your hand up, the person who wants to ask the question, so I can follow it through. You mentioned bearing the um, things. Uh, a lot of us know how to bear some things some ways, but how do you let go? <laughs> Dave, you want to handle How do you let go and uh, bearing some things? I think you have to really take it to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to forgive and to allow you to forget and simply let it go. Um, if you can still remember the details and those characteristics that I gave early, earlier, uh, we probably really fully haven't buried the hurt and so on. And that takes time. Wounds take time to heal. They don't just heal overnight. And if a person has been bearing a grudge for a long time, um, it may take some time to get over that. But it needs to be confessed, and it needs to be uh, perhaps talked about with a minister, elder. Uh, it needs to be confessed. And I've heard of situations where people, after doing that, the feelings left, the hurt was gone, the opportunity to restore the relationship was there, and it happened. Maybe you. No, I agree. I don't know how I could ever forgive some of the injustices that I've read about in some of these books, especially um, this one by Frank Peretti is really, really good, and also um, the Nazi war camp survivors. I, I just can't imagine forgiving somebody that had the opportunity to protect my, say, my sister, but instead beat her and tortured her and so forth, and then comes after the war and wants a part of the Christian world. I would personally prefer to see him burn, but you know, that's absolutely against Scripture. So I think my answer is I have to take it to the Lord because I really can I don't have the ability to do it on my own. I wish I did. So there's kind of two options. One is you can hold it within and let it burn and dig and eat away and destroy your emotional life and probably your physical health in the process. The other thing that the world suggests is, well, go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and talk about it and stand up for your rights and find ways that you can restore your self-esteem and so on. And basically, although that may have some psychological benefits to it, it doesn't really right the relationship with the other person, and more importantly, it doesn't right the relationship with the Lord. And so we need to deal with it, the confession to the Lord, and get his forgiveness from it. And uh, what that other person does shouldn't have anything to do with my ability to forgive them. If you wait for somebody to come and ask for forgiveness, number one, as Sherry said, they may not even know that they've offended you to that point. And um, if you're not ready to forgive somebody, it won't make any difference whether they come and ask for forgiveness or not. So the point is, it has to be done um, from within oneself. It is my problem, it is my issue, not somebody else's. And one more thing that I think applies, and that is that sometimes the offenses that come or that we cause cannot be forgotten. They're such the scars will be there forever, but it's we choose not to hold it against someone or we choose um, to live above that it's a choice that we make, and God gives us the help. And the, and the things we cannot carry, 
scriptures promise us that no greater thing will come upon us than what we can bear. God is there. God is faithful. He will provide a way to escape. Um, and that is always true. But sometimes the scars may be there the rest of our life and we just simply, you know what helps me a lot of times when I read in the Bible that in heaven, Jesus Christ is going to have the scars on his hand where he was wounded in the house of his friends. Forever he will know the price he paid for our sins. And we will know it too because we'll be able to look at it. And that's the price we pay, I think. that's. I hope that answers the question. Is there anyone else? Uh, Sister Barbara, was that? Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? There's one in the back. There's one in the back. Oh, there's one up front here, too. I don't know as I got a... Go ahead and talk. I don't know as I got a, uh, a question for you. Just let me say that you're pretty accurate. The things that I've heard. Because I'm one of them. Let me say things that I did were reflected back to the era that Sherry's talking about. And what probably nobody knows is that hatred goes in it, stubbornness. And with me, justification, justifying the things that I did because other people are wrong. It fits like a glove. I was uh, growing up in the age of the Second World War. And what probably very few people know here, maybe Louise, I hated Germans because of what they did, what they stood for. And I didn't, God had a way to solve it daughter married a German. My best friends are Germans. He surrounded me with German people. <laughs> he solved the problem for me. I still struggle with the problem. But with his help, I can get above it. Aren't you glad that in Christ we are neither German nor whatever you are, Brother Ned, but we are all in Christ, male or female, uh, neither Jew nor Greek. No, we're believers, we're Christians, we're brothers in Christ. There was a hand in the back, uh, I thought, yes. Um, any suggestions when you... We've got to have uh, the microphones up, please. Here? Now we can hear it, okay. thank you. Any suggestions to the person who is the object of the bitterness? How do I heal that when the bitterness, the, per, the bitter person, I need to heal that relationship, but the bitterness is on the other end, and I can't get through that? Ooh, that's a good one. I am the object. I am the... Just... The microphone is off. Please, please keep the microphone on so she can finish. It's, it's on, on now. Okay. Now it's okay. <laughs> Repeat it? No, just the last part that we didn't hear. All I'm saying, I am the reason the person is bitter. I want to heal that relationship. How do I get past her bitterness? Towards me. You cannot heal someone's bitterness for them. You can perhaps give them a reason to forgive you, but it's no guarantee that they will do it. You can approach them. You can let them know that, hey, I'm sorry for some things I said. As a consequence of reading the Word and a consequence of going to this forum and doing whatever it is you've done to make yourself aware of this, you can go back. Frank Peretti in his book talks about going back 
and, and some of the school things that he went through as a sickly child and small and so on, and the bullying that he went through, and he cites names and places and times, I mean the details and so on. And very few of those people ever came back to him. But he said once he had that awareness of what went on, he recognized in his own life situations where he was the perpetrator of the bitterness, or he at least did things that people could become bitter about. He went, told them that he was aware of the situation, asked for forgiveness, but it's no guarantee that the person will accept it or even change. That's something they have to decide to do. The best you can do is handle 50% of the problem and 100% of your problem by taking it to the Lord, recognizing it, asking Him to heal it, and remembering that I'm going to handle these situations differently. I'm not going to try to say those things that I know will anger or hurt somebody. And you can only handle your side of it. You can pray for them otherwise. Okay. There's a hand up in the, in the front. Um, my question was pretty much the same thing. I'm just wondering if you went to the person and talked to them um, and they haven't really had a forgiving attitude or should you follow up with them later or do you just leave it in the Lord's hand at that point? I think Dave said that we, um, I think we should follow up forever. We should always make sure that they never mistake again that we are the perpetrators of something that's bitter. I think for forever we owe that person um, beyond a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I didn't mean it and I meant when I asked, forgive me. But it may never happen. You may want to make sure that you've acknowledged that you hurt them and tell them that. Because yeah, that pain is real to them. And then showing your behavior from there on out that you are aware of that by not saying those same kinds of things or doing the same stuff that had brought it about in the first place. At that point, in my estimation and confession to the Lord, you're free of that. It is their responsibility then to decide what they're going to do with what you've told them. And if they want to nurse the grudge and keep the wound open, they can do that. But I wouldn't let them destroy the joy of my salvation and the things that Sherry talked about in terms of the relationship with the Lord because you've done whatever you could to make that right. First of all, by acknowledging it, by confessing it to the Lord, by asking for forgiveness, by recognizing that my forgiveness will be somewhat dependent on my forgiving others or my asking for forgiveness. And again, what they do on their part is up to them. But if they're going to hold you over a barrel and say, you know, you've got to keep crawling to me from here on out because of this, I would say, no, no, we engage in normal, rational interaction and treat each other as mature Christians. And um, what they choose to do otherwise, uh, we have to rise above that. We cannot let them control us. Yes, that's what I'm saying. They cannot control us because it will put them in a position where they can be in charge. And you can do what you can, but at some point you have to say, I've got to let the wound heal. It's no longer a wound for me. It's a scar. But... We'll accept one more question. And you still want to ask it here in the front? Come on, Come on up here. Uh... 11.15. Mm -hmm. What is it? 11.15. Time's 11.15. We have 15 oh. minutes. Sorry about that. We have 15 minutes. I didn't know that. Go ahead. I don't know if I can make myself truly understood. Uh, we are so indoctrinated by the media that only the Germans hurt people. And I truly resent it because there are millions that hate Americans for what they did to the Germans. I'm one of the concentration survivors from Yugoslavia. I uh, carried hatred for many years for the things that were done to us for no good reason because, because it, there was a war. 
but there are more people that hurt people than the Germans. But um, a time has, is a, a power that can heal. With time, you can forgive, you can never forget the hurt that was done to you, but the forgiving has to start and, and take place of the, the bitterness. I don't know if I made myself yeah, I would agree with you. The, the, the healing can start right away. It's interesting that in our discussion so far, and, and I don't know how representative the few folks who have talked, uh, but we're talking about issues that go back to the Second World War. So that's how many years? 50 years ago? And we're talking about issues. And I could name chapter and verse in various churches where we've had issues of deno uh, not denomination, um, and <laughs> the word escapes me, cultural differences where those became so strong and so embittered that churches literally split over those things. And Brother Rainey already cited the verses about, you know, in Christ, those differences have to be put aside. Yes, they hurt. Yes, they dig deep. Yes, we've gone through some terrible, terrible experiences. many instances when people got uh, in, uh, in, in concentration camps, suffered deeply and just as painfully, but we always glance over those and go back to the over 50 years ago. I, uh, I feel hurt, but I forgive you all. <laughs> I, I think the, the, the reasons why the examples come from 50 years ago is because that's where the hurt is for those particular individuals. Others could cite the Vietnam era. Others could talk about a situation in a church where there were differences and, and influences, that cultural differences that split and embittered people. Um, those perhaps are reflective of the particular issues that those folks are dealing with. The, the issue for me is we've, we need to deal with them at some point. I even know of a situation where somebody was mad and bitter at somebody and had the wrong person, was bitter at the wrong person for 30 years, just didn't have the facts straight, thought something was the way they thought it was, and it wasn't that way when they found out, but for 30 years they held that bitterness. How much better it would have been to deal with the situation then and there? But again, I, I think some of the bitterness that, that comes about as a result of these wartime experiences uh, were pretty much buying into the cultural way of dealing with these things and not with the scriptural thing. I'm not aware of the, although we talk about, you know, Americans and Germans, we could put Cambodians and Americans, we could put Japanese and Koreans, you could put a number Kosovo. of countries. Kosovo. Is, is Kosovo is Kosovo, you could do the, yes, the Yugoslavia thing. But I'm not aware of those conflicts being among Christians themselves. I'm not aware of those differences being, unless they are within a church. And then it's even more serious because the Lord has given us in his word the solutions for all of those problems. I'm talking too much. I know that I used the Nazi era, but um, within that, it wasn't just the Germans that committed those offenses. It was neighbors and people that um, were trusted. So, and even today, I think another reason we use that is because it is talked about and written about. For so long, Vietnam was hushed, and even today it's a sore subject and people don't talk about it a lot. But today we have wars going on in, uh, obviously, over in Yugoslavia and in the Middle East. And within the hospital setting that I work at, I've had people naively ask why this doctor never um, works with this one. And I said, well, because they're both Middle Eastern. I said, they're from completely different countries, and those countries don't get along. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's uh, something that's still going on. When we say people don't get along, it's horrible, the stuff that happens. It, I think when I read about Tor Corey Ten Boom, I, I don't know how she overcame those things because she learned the very evil nature that a human being can have, and it can be in somebody that you trust. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, 
How can we as Christians help somebody else who is another Christian recognize the bitterness in their, their life that affects others around them? That's isolating themselves because of the bitterness. Someone who is not a Christian? He is a Someone is a Christian, okay. Who wants to take Say that question again, please. We are a little bit... How can we as a Christian help another fellow Christian who has bitterness in their lives that's evident by people around them, but they cannot acknowledge it, they do not acknowledge it, and would be terribly offended if we would approach them about it? I like to think of it as um, like any other sin. You have to confront it with the word of God. You have to bring it out in love to them so that they feel loved by you when you're showing the, the scripture. When I, uh, when I see that somebody has a problem that I want to help them with, I personally um, like to type out verses and let them read those and let the word of God work, their, work his way into their heart and talk to them as only God can communicate. There are things that we cannot communicate to other people. Only God can give that communication to a person's heart. It's too complicated. Do you have anything to say? I don't, my only thoughts on that would be that our responsibility is indeed uh, for others in the Christian faith, and that's a very sensitive subject. It would be like a Christian dentist going up to somebody and saying, there's things wrong with your teeth, and I can fix those for you. How do you do that? We have physicians in our audience who can do things, and yet they don't go up to people and tell them what's wrong with them. Um, and we, there are people who probably see my home and say, you know, Dave, you could fix this, and I know how to do this, but they don't do that. And it's not because they don't care. I think it's because, in part, they don't want to hurt my feelings. And so we have to be extremely careful pointing out somebody else's problem when, in fact, we may. And I'm speaking for myself here, uh, and I'm not absolving myself of the responsibility of, of watching out for my brother or sister, but I certainly have to make sure that I don't point the finger and at the same time have as much or worse going on in my life. So it's, I think it's a very difficult thing to do. I would first of all take it to the Lord in prayer. I would wait for a very tender moment when somebody might be open to that sort of thing. You can talk. I used to be able to talk really nice with Sean when we were out shooting baskets. We'd go out in the driveway there and had a basketball hoop set up, and we'd each shoot 10 foul shots at a time and do 100 or 200 of them. I got pretty good at it, by the way. And he would just start talking. And I thought, okay, if this is how it works, we'll, we'll shoot baskets and we'll talk. Because he was comfortable doing that. Couldn't do that sitting down in the house in a kind of formal situation. Well, son, it's time for us to have this discussion. No, but we could talk while we were shooting baskets. I don't know why, but maybe it was because I was doing something that he enjoyed doing. And I enjoyed doing it with him. And we could relate on common... It was probably because he was better than I was. Still is. And thus it opened opportunity for us to talk. So a tender moment uh, is when I would take advantage of something like that. And I would just encourage self-examination, but not telling them what their problem is, because nobody likes that. And oftentimes, unless a person recognizes it for themselves, what good does it do? The only comment I want to underscore is what Brother Dave said about prayer. I think we sometimes short-circuit God by not praying. As individuals for someone or as a group perhaps for a situation, God will make that difference, I think. Uh, but we cannot really help. And I like the idea about the tender moment. I think that God provides the times when that window of opportunity is there for us to, to say something, and um, uh, but we have an enemy. We have Satan who attempts to keep things stirred up, and so. Uh, but I would I want to underscore the fact about praying for them, and when the opportunity arises to pray with them also. I I don't know any other thing. There's nothing you you can't you cannot make someone else do it. You cannot do it. I mean, if it was possible, uh, 
You know, in a way, it's good that we can't because that's God's work in each of our lives. Um, we, would, uh, we would take a lot of credit to ourselves if we could make someone do something that we wanted them done. Someone had a hand up over here, Ned. Um, just a moment, just a moment. I can add one thing to that, and uh, the tender moment is right. Uh, tactfulness, I think, is the word to use. You have to watch it at a place where, the, where it's a relaxed atmosphere. Uh, you can't just up and boom. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the boom type. But uh, being tactful is the way to go about it, and not everybody can do that. I think Jesus said in Matthew 18 that if something, if there is something that offends us but with our brother, we ought to go. What's not said there is the prayer part before we go between thee and him alone. You see, the whole thing that we might imagine might be wrong. We might be wrong. And there always needs to be that humility on our heart to say, I could have been mistaken. Could have been. And, uh, but maturity in Christ will bring those things about. We, uh, if there are no other comments, we would like to conclude with a prayer. And we appreciate each of you being here. Um, want to encourage you to self-examination being in God's word, uh, speaking the truth. The scriptures in Ephesians 3 say we ought to speak the truth in love. Allow me to say it, speak it in unmistakable love. There ought to be no mistake when we talk. Is something that I say, is it loving? Is it kind? And is it true? Again, I want to just highlight this. One of the best books I have ever read on something like this is this book by Frank Peretti. Do yourself a favor and read it. It costs $18 or $19, uh, but uh, I think the library might get it for you cheaper. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in a moment of prayer, shall we? Lord, you've touched each one of us today with your with your love for us. Lord Jesus, when we remember that you went to the cross, to the offense, the sin that each of us contributed to putting you there on a cross, we are guilty. And none of us can hold up our heads and say that we are above those things we talked about today because, Lord, you bore it all for us quietly, silently as a lamb dumb before his shearers. So he opened not his mouth and you went to the cross because you loved us. And we shall forever be grateful for that heavenly love shed abroad in our hearts through Jesus Christ. Be with each one of us as we go. We ask thee in Jesus' name to bless all of us. Amen.